I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Can't think of a good last name. Boy, I'm slipping. A middle name. Middle name. Bionic. Who are you and what have you done with Tom Bionic? I don't know. I, I had something good. You know what? I had. I thought of something good actually on the way over here. Mm-hmm. I watched this video of... Um, By the way, welcome to Future Quake, everybody. Yeah, of, of this, uh, my, my, favorite, my favorite sort of small-time video makers, Rhett and Link. Yeah, they uh, took, uh, they're the video producers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took and uh, YouTube has this automated text b- captioning thing where you put it in there and it's mm-hmm. got this program runs and sort of talks, you know, re- you know, here's what you're saying and makes it into automatic subtitles. Mm. But a lot of times it gets it wrong. It doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm. So they put a bunch of Christmas carols in there and sang them. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, two tires dancing and a partridge in St. Louis. <laughs> it was funny. And so I had some lines from that as a middle name, but I forgot so it. So I was trying to translate it. Yeah. You know, this is just like a conversation when you call me here at the Future Quake <laughs> Studios. You'll start right in and say, and so St. Augustine said this to so-and-so and this. And I'm like, hello? What? Yeah. So now I know how our listeners feel. But it's great to be with you, ladies and gentlemen, um, for another Future Quake, another week. Mm-hmm. Um bunch of surprises down the road, but we've got some great information to share with you Mm -hmm. in a world that's getting very, very interesting here as we get to the tail end of 2011. Mm -hmm. And uh, my good friend Tom, anything on your heart and mind about uh, um, what's shaken? You know, it's interesting. There's, It's funny that a lot of the people that I talk to and hang out with, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they listen to the show and all this stuff. And um, so it's funny, like, there are Futurians out there that I run into once in a great while, and thought we're like almost like a big family or something. It's weird. Mm-hmm. So, so like the Manson family. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some stuff in my trunk that's kind of moist in yeah. a plastic bag. Yeah. I could use some help moving. Uh huh. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, no, things are going good. I'm I'm working down there at the mission, yeah. helping people and stuff. Um, just I covet yeah. all your prayers because uh, it's mostly good. There are some aspects of the job like it's like whoa. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I, I deal with people who are who are mentally and emotionally healthy, who are just trying to look, get, trying to get back on their feet after uh, a lot of them. Some of them, it's just like they had some crazy major illness that their yeah. health insurance didn't cover. Wow. You know, they had to like sell everything. Then and, everything felt like dominoes, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And it usually wasn't just that. It was like that, and then mm-hmm. you know, like they tried to go back to work, and you know, like a. 2,000 pound I beam fell on their arm or something. Right. And, you know, right. They kind of got they got hit by multiple things that you just you almost can't account for. Yeah. And uh, but uh, you know, um, going back to the back there uh, where they have the actual transients and stuff, mm-hmm. those guys are like saints, man. I don't know if I could do that job. Yeah. You know, the people who are really yeah. like have mental issues and right. maybe don't smell quite as good as is right. uh, you know right. somebody just got out of the shower. Right, man, those guys. Yeah, you know, but it's taught me something really beautiful. You know, it's it's uh, that nobody is in Jesus's eyes. Nobody, nobody is like a throwaway human. 
Uh-huh. You know, no, everybody has some sort of worth in Jesus' eyes. Uh-huh. You know, I was walking through the chapel. What about they aren't elect? They still, Jesus still no. loves them. Well, yeah, he's, he's like, sorry, you're toast. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. open that can of worms. Yeah. That's like a, <laughs> great, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, wa- even walking through the chapel and like, they have a chapel service every night. You have to, you have to, uh, uh, go there and sort of, you know, apply for a bed for the night. Otherwise you sleep mm-hmm. in this room with these, like, it's like a Greyhound station. Um, you have to apply sort of to get a, um, you know, a card to sleep in a bed and everything and shower and everything. And, um, one of the things is that, uh, you know, they, you have to attend the chapel service, you know, mm-hmm. so everybody gets up at 7:45 and goes in or seven, uh, mm-hmm. goes into the chapel service. And I was walking around in the back and there's all these dudes who were homeless and stuff. And, um, like, I don't know if I could minister to them regularly, but, like, there was a point there where I just had, like, such love for these guys, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, these dudes really need a lot, and I know Jesus mm-hmm. loves them. And you know what? Like, like, I love them. Yeah. You know? Real. Yeah. Well, with a few change, a turn of events, any of us could be in that situation. It's It wouldn't take that much either. For it's wild. It's, it's really wild to hear some of these guys' stories, you know? They're yeah. really, really intelligent, and they... um they are good, you know, mm-hmm. they, there's nothing wrong with them and yeah. they just, stuff happens, you know? Yeah. So, well, I know it'd be nice to have a little bit more on a pay end of thing, but I tell you what, mm-hmm. it makes, you're making a difference in people's lives. Yeah. And well, that, yeah, that's helps. one thing that people could certainly pray for. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I have a few quick announcements before I forget. Um, mm-hmm. I want to thank, uh, Ricky and Angela and Kate and Adam, all who made some donations to Future Quake uh, to help us with our expenses. And um, I got a few more books on some things to be working on here with some stuff talking about, and that helped with that in our expenses. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you all thank you for that and anybody who made a donation that right at the front of futurequake.com for our show to help us out with, with what we're doing. Um, also, um, we still have those two, uh, two books are available that uh, I've done some writing contribution to mm-hmm. um, uh, how to overcome the most frightening issues you will face this century mm-hmm. and also um, uh, Pandemonium's engine about transhumanism and gets into prophecy and things that's on the left side of the page but I also want to point you to the right side of the front of futurequake.com and go down toward the bottom and you will see the choices if you would like to have a future quake shirt uh, or a, say a poster uh, mm-hmm. Or something else. There's a couple of choices for T-shirts or some kind of shirt. Let us know which one you like or both. What sizes you would want. Um, I want a Future Quake kind of car horn. Car horn? You hit the button. It goes, welcome to Future Quake. Well, yeah. you know what? Like those greeting card things. You could have something like those little. Can you program those? I think so. Well, some yeah. of them you can. I think. You know what else would be cool is to have one maybe where you could have like multiple, you know, like ten buttons or something. Like yeah, you know, another button goes. For our long-term futurians, you could have. I'm happy. I'm happy. And I'll punch the man who says I'm not. But go check that out. See if there's any of that stuff you'd like. We've got a poster design. But you need to email us at drfuture, drfuture at futurequake.com, and let us know if you'd like any of those kind of shirts, whether you'd like to have a sweatshirt or golf shirt or T-shirt. 
uh, how much you'd be willing to pay because we're having to figure out what options are practical for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are long overdue. After seven years of being on air, we've never had anything like this. So, And some people said, well, I'd like to have a coffee mug or something like that. Well, let us know that, too, and mm-hmm. just drop us an email. And mm-hmm. uh, after the first of the uh, the month, uh, probably decide, like, here's Make what we're going to do. That's yeah. it. So you need to hurry up and get that into mm-hmm. us before you forget. So yeah. that's it for announcements. I'm ready to get into some no, news. We, we do have one more announcement. Oh, uh, Brother Jason from Australia. Okay. Um, he was looking, he is thinking about doing a uh, show similar to to, uh, to our fine Mm-hmm. Show. Or future, or future and I use, South I use fine in the loosest sort of quotes yeah. sense. No one could meet our supreme <laughs> pinnacle. <laughs> Let me know if it gets too slick for you. <laughs> of, of fidelity, yeah. And excellence. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, he's uh, he was looking to to start another show similar to to fu- you know yeah. like Future Quake South Africa. It would IF be Kaya. awesome. Yeah, and uh, he's looking for some Australian brothers that might. Uh, this would be yet another continent. Want want to do? Yeah, another continent that would have Future Quake mm-hmm. on it. Yep. And uh, so what we need is, if you're Australian, mm-hmm. uh, do you remember what town? He's no, in? but I can look it up here. Because um, that might be a little helpful, but not necessary. Yeah. No, I, I'm sure he could do Skype it over Skype and other kind of do things. Do over Skype. Yeah. Uh, a lot of our uh, Revelations Radio Network guys are on opposite coast and host the mm-hmm. show simultaneously. So, uh, anything that's possible. But if if you reside in Australia, we know we have many of our listeners that do. Rocky, mate. And you would like to do something like this? I can tell you. Um, not only is it a lot of fun, it'd be a real blessing for you. Mm-hmm. And we need to get the Oceania view of things mm-hmm. and so y'all would be good at that mm-hmm. uh i'd give the pacific rim uh viewpoint on what's going on uh so if you were somewhere australian i i would say we might even include uh new zealand what do you think yeah uh, sort of the ANZUS kind of uh, yeah. sphere uh, and uh if you would like to do something like what we do on future quake here uh either reviewing the news talking about subjects even interviewing people, mm-hmm. uh, drop us a line at drfuture, drfuture at futurequake.com, and we'll get you in contact with our brother here mm-hmm. and see if something happens just like Futurequake South Africa, which is uh, a neat show in its own right. Yeah, I think he's from Melbourne. Melbourne, okay. Yeah, I think. One of the most beautiful cities on earth. Melbourne is like just like a museum. It, you know, it reminded me a little bit really? of Really? Wow, like maybe I'll go. Oh, you need to go to Melbourne. Oh, it's sweet. I actually went down south of there and saw the penguins when they come up out of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have like a barbecue? They, no, they don't eat the penguins. They just watch them. They <laughs> yeah, have they grandstands. Come. Yeah. <laughs> Forget the on shrimp the we're putting penguin on. On the barbie. Uh, no, the penguins walk up out of there, and you can. they have grandstands, and you can sit and watch. And they, every time, at a certain time of night, they come out and waddle out of the water. And they have a few little, like, sort of like... Uh, what do you call them, um, scouts that sort of go out, and they act real cold, like they get real cold, and they'll run back in the water again. And they'll finally, they'll just see waves of them, waves of these ones come in on the waves, and they'll mm-hmm. waddle, and you can walk right next to them, and they go in their holes in the ground. Hmm. And that's really not what we're here for, Future Quake. We're here to talk about the news, but anyway, that's mm-hmm. a little coloration there. Yeah. Would you like to begin with the story? No, or? no, you please. You sure? Yes. Okay. I I really have a variety of stories this week. Me too. I actually I'm not in a rut. I've even day. got a Murray Rothbard article from nineteen sixty five. Oh my goodness. 
It's going to be oh, so, some, April some hard 1963. Cold, hardcore uh, libertarian yeah. philosophers there on that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is nothing like that. Now for something completely different. This is from the Mail, uh, the uh, British newspaper. Mm-hmm. Ark of the Covenant to be revealed after leaking roof in Ethiopian chapel. Again, I don't know if you saw that, they come. This comes up about once a year. About the leaking roof? No, I've never about heard the, about leaking the, the roof. The Ark of the Covenant being revealed. Well, no, this was real. Unlike those other ones, this is the, the other four hundred. Yeah. yeah, you can forget that. This mm-hmm. is the real one. Uh, thank, thanks for like getting the enthusiasm for my story here, wah, Tom. I uh, says, will this be the first time the world sees the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, leaking roof in Ethiopian chapel will lead the relic being revealed. Um, only one monk is only a person allowed to see the holy box, but he'll need a hand carrying the meter-long wooden structure to a new home. This is mm-hmm. a, a very British problem of a leaky church roof. Could be about to give the world the chance to glimpse the legendary Ark of the Covenant. That's because the claimed home of the iconic relic, a small chapel in Ethiopia, has sprung a leak, and so the Ark could now be on the move. The Ark, which the Bible says holds God ten, God's Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai, is said to have been kept in Axum, in the chapel of the tablet adjacent to St. Mary of Zion Church since the 1960s. According to the Old Testament, it was first kept in the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem for centuries until a Babylonian invasion in the 6th century B.C. Since then, it's been the goal of many adventurers and archaeologists to find it. Most famously, but also fictitiously, Indiana Jones was shown in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. There has also been a long-running claim from the Orthodox Christians of Ethiopia that they have had the Ark for centuries. And since the 1960s, it has apparently been kept in the chapel. This small and curiously styled building is surrounded by spiked iron railings and situated between two churches, the old and new of St. Mary of Zion in central Aksum. No one has been allowed to see the holy object, described in scripture as being made of acacia wood, plated with gold and topped with two golden angels, except one solitary elderly monk who must watch over the ark for the remainder of his life and is never allowed to leave the chapel grounds. But now the chapel, which was designed by the Ethiopian leader, Emperor Ali Selassie, has to be covered in a tarpaulin to stop rain getting in. The water damage could mean the ark will be moved for the first time in decades, giving religious worshippers and adventurers alike a chance to see it. Well, I doubt they'd get to see it anyway if they did, but British photographer Tim Makins, 54, who was a travel photographer for publications like Lonely Planet, discovered the church had sprung a leak while traveling through Ethiopia last September. He believes the moving of the ark could could be one of the best ways to discover if there's any truth to the claims of the East African state. Tim said, During my most recent visit to the church, I was surprised to see some ground adjacent to the chapel of the tablet being cleared and leveled by workmen and some quantities of building stone being assembled nearby. Asking around... I managed to discover that the new temporary chapel is due to be built, and the ark is being moved into it while the original chapel is repaired. It seems that the builders of the 1960s were not as careful as the builders of centuries past, and the roof of the chapel has developed some serious leaks that now need comprehensive repair work. Yeah. Um, uh, 
to see here. It says, uh, to protect the ark, a tarpaulin now covers the roof of the chapel, but this is a temporary measure. To renovate the building thoroughly, the roof must be stripped back to the bare bones, and so a replacement chapel is to be built next door, providing a temporary home for it. Tim said the construction of the new temporary chapel would take about three months, according to workers and religious figures at the site, though he suspects it will probably take much longer. He added, when the work is finished, the Ark of the Covenant will be carried to its new resting place. Uh, that this can be done by one person allowed to see it is unlikely, as the Bible describes the size of the Ark as two and a half cubits in length, which is, what, a little over, uh, it's almost four feet long, one and a half in breadth and one and a half in height. Hmm. Um, cubits in today's measurements translates to about 1.31 meters, yeah by 0.79 by 0.79 meters, and is normally carried on two long wooden poles. But it really is this size and still contains two stone tablets that list God's commandments, and the elderly monk will no doubt need some help to transport it. Hmm. Might need some Levites probably to help pick that thing up. Yeah, they, they, they were technically the only people who were able to lift it up, right? Right, right. And you don't want to touch it. You know, I was wondering, you know, gold doesn't tarnish, and mm-hmm. so it would be real glistening. Would dust ever fall on the Ark of the Covenant? Probably. I mean, it's... Uh, it's I mean, a, unless God's supernatural. It's not an object of worship it, like, anymore. Static free or anything you know, like that. Yeah. It's not an object of worship anymore, yeah. so it's not like God's oh, spirit rests there, right. as far as I know. I mean, yeah, it's exactly. theologically that shaky ground, but, you know... Right, I know. You don't want to, like, just go, like, rub on it just to challenge it. Yeah, uh, you know, did you ever hear about the guys who actually made one? You know, they tried to follow it as best they really? could. No. You know, and then they had like the silver poles and stuff, yeah. and they would put it out. They they actually put it out in a. Um, they you know they did this and they kind of put it out in the desert. And yeah. when the wind would blow from a certain direction, it became, it became like a static antenna. Yeah. And would actually, uh, uh, like fizzle and pop and stuff. You know. I've heard about like different. Yeah. Ways it can be an antenna almost to generate electricity, yeah. and yeah. maybe that's why it killed people at like a capacitor or something that just yeah. discharged from somebody. Boom! Yeah. Oops. You know, one time uh, I had a little single Christian singles function, and you did tried that. Well, sort of. Um, but you had to be a Bible character, and I couldn't think of anything that I really wanted to be. They all seemed so boring, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the Ark of the Covenant. I took this box. I spray painted orange or gold. Uh-huh. And then I I had little angel figures I glued on the corners of it. And I said, "Do not touch." <laughs> Nobody else was that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I was I'm sort sure. of unique in that. So anyway, you know, if our futurians would donate enough money to us for airfare, mm-hmm. you and I could go check that out. Yeah. Do some investigative yeah, work. Yeah, man. I go to Future Quake on site. Yeah. Well, we've got to go to Axum in Ethiopia. Oh, I'm sorry, Axum. Yep. Yeah. Acre, you'd be a long way from there unless it flew over there, you know, mm-hmm. sort of like Jeremiah when they took that, you know, woman in the ephod. Short of that, we'd probably miss it. Yeah, but, you know. But, you know, if they tied us to a pole and opened up the cover, you want to make sure to close your eyes. You see, like, the wind blowing yeah. around real quick and stuff yeah. like that. Harrison Ford, what's he doing here? Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. We're in trouble. Okay, you got a story. I do. This is a story from the New York Post. Yeah. Uh, it says, it's called... Orthodox sex abuse scandal. 117 kid victims and 85 arrests in a Jewish enclave. Mm-hmm. 
this is an interesting. They just focus on one guy, but from what I've what I've looked into, um, there's a lot more going on mm. here. You know, uh, but uh, he looks like a movie star, but. From, but many members of Brooklyn's Jewish community believe he is a monster. Andrew Goodman, 27, who worked for Jewish social, social service agencies, is charged with sexually abusing two Orthodox boys for a year in Flatbush. Hmm. Um, Goodman films the stuff going on, and um, uh, the, according to a 144-count indictment, uh, it alleges hmm. numerous violations. Since, all the way since 2006, he's pleaded not guilty. Um, uh, he's one of an astounding 85 people accused uh, orthodox child molesters that Brooklyn District Attorney Charles Hines' office says it has busted in the past three years in, a, in an a, initiative called Kol Tzedek, Hebrew for Voice of Justice. There's 85 orthodox Jews? Uh-huh. Yep. Wow. Yep. The case involves 117 victims. A number that has the community reeling from the extent of the horrors uh, of the pedophilia. Uh, there's some other links here on the thing that are interesting, but in interest of time, and we'll stay. Uh, launched amid complaints that Heinz was soft on orthodox child predators, called Sadek aims to coax victims to come forward despite strong pressure in the insular religious community to cover up such crimes. All but two of the suspects are men. Uh, and most, uh, more than half of the victims are male, says Assistant DA Ronnie Jaus. Jaus. J-A-U-S. I think that's Jaus. Jaus. Chief of the Sex Abuse and Crimes Against Children's Division. Of the 38 cases closed so far, 14 perps got jail time ranging from a month to 10 to 20 years uh, for, for crimes that included sex abuse, kidnapping, and other things. Uh, the other 24 have walked free. They got probation, pleaded to minor charges, or saw their cases dismissed, mostly because victims or their parents backed out under community pressure. Hmm. Um, uh, Agudath uh, Ag- Israel of America, a prominent body of Torah sages, requires anyone uh, alleging sex abuse by a fellow observant Jew to first report it first report to its rabbis who decide whether the case should go to secular authorities. Hmm. Uh, Goodman's case, which Hines' office hasn't publicized, shows how the community's response has started to change. Rather than keeping it among the orthodox, some alleged victims turned to sympathetic religious leaders and outside authorities to help lock up menace. Translation, they weren't doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Goodman is known in our community as a lifelong molester who preys on young boys and ruins their lives, a Talmudic scholar at yeah. Congregation Bias Torah wrote to Brooklyn Judge Mark Murphy, who was hearing the case. Um, uh, continuing, neighbors were shocked when Goodman, freed on $10,000 bail after his arrest in July 2010, still had boys sneaking into his 15th Street home, uh, where he lived with his parents and sister in the middle of the night. Uh, community community uh, watch members made a chilling surveillance videotape that uh, officials said shows teens ages 15 or 16 entering and leaving the house between 3 a.m. and 5.30. Uh, Goodman has seen opening his front door for the boys. Um, in one image, two men, including an officer of Shamrim, a volunteer patrol, apparently argue with Goodman at the front steps. 
Goodman goes inside and ushers a boy out of his house. Uh, when told of the tape at Goodman's September 2010 arraignment, uh, Judge Patricio Domingo uh, raised Goodman's bail to an unusually steep $1 million, cash only. Hmm. He remains at Rikers Island. Big surprise. A million dollars is a million dollars, even yeah. for even for a well-to-do Orthodox gentleman. Evidence seized in Goodman's room. Um, well, we won't get into that. It's pretty gross. Goodman's lawyer, Izzy Friedman, indicated his client would fight the charges, telling Domingo uh, these were not forceful. No one here was held against their will. Um, uh, fried, uh, his, uh, his, his uh, lawyer, Izzy Fried, also told the Post, the alleged victims are troubled kids who did not have a good home life. One boy ran, a bit, mm-hmm. ran away and Goodman gave him a safe haven. Yeah, that's the ones they usually pick on. Yeah. Desperate ones. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> uh, Goodman... He confirmed, his lawyer says, Goodman, he confirmed, once turned to the young, uh, to his young accuser in court and mouthed, I love you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it goes on and on and on mm-hmm. like this. Um, and sort of the, the basic thing is that they've been kind of hiding this guy. Well, you know, we focus on the Catholic Church and the pedophile priests and mm-hmm. stuff like that, but it looks like there's a little bit of blame to be spread around. You can you can spread the mustard a little bit on this and one, unfortunately. Evangelicals aren't immune either mm-hmm. of that. But, uh, you know, the more we look at finding one excuse to try to find something in the Bible or some other reason why these people or that people or whatever, evangelicals or whoever are exceptional, the more you find out people are pretty much the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We got the same problems, and Jesus loves us all just the same, including those of us in our various groups and institutions that do the most abhorrent things, mm-hmm. and uh, that people that have to pay the price for that. You know. Um. Wow. Will, would you like something a little different mm-hmm. again here? Mm-hmm. Um. Got a couple, a few stories here that are a little bit on the weirdness side. Mm-hmm. This, uh, this is some information from a former guest on our show, uh, in an article. Uh, it's on a, a website called Mysterious Universe. And this was something about, from Nick Redfern, Conspiracies and Visions. Uh, Nick Redfern always does something interesting. I mean, I would say 98% of the time it's something, a topic of interest to me. He says, when it comes to the matter of government interest in paranormal phenomena, Certainly one of the most controversial aspects of the entire issue revolves around the ways and means by which official agencies have exploited or have tried to exploit religious iconography as a weapon of war, deception, and manipulation. Hmm. So the story goes today. Darkly ambitious plans are afoot to unleash upon the entire planet a monstrous and malignant holographic hoax relative to the so-called second coming. Known to the wilder elements of conspiracy theorizing as Project Bluebeam, it is said to be an operation designed to usher in a definitive New World Order type society in which the populace, duped into believing by, by a series of aerial holograms that the final battle between good and evil is taking place in the skies above, will give up their freedoms and allow the New World Order to rule them with an iron fist born out of Old Testament Wrath of God style teachings. Could such an astonishing scenario actually be true? Are there really cold-hearted people buried deep within the quarters of power 
who see the religious teachings and belief of the ancients as being viable ways of keeping all of us living in a state of never-ending, hell-driven terror and martial law? True or not, and I'm sure some of this is influenced by his interview with the Collins Elite, in yeah. the book, yeah. where they actually said that's, that's you know, they would want to use it for that purpose. He says, true or not, we do see prime evidence of official manipulation of religious iconography for military and psychological warfare purposes. One of the most important, relevant, and earliest contributions to this particular debate is an April 14, 1950 publication of the Rand Corporation, titled, which is like almost a pseudo-government one. They do the studies, mm-hmm. like the Brookings Institute. Yeah. Titled, The Exploitation of Superstitions for Purposes of Psychological Warfare. Now, this particular document he mentions, we have linked. And, and those of you who listen on iTunes or podcast. Remember, if you go to futurequake.com, look under our past shows tab. I can't tell you how many times I've told people that. Yeah. all We have all of our shows back to day one, mm-hmm. okay? You, they only go from like June of 2008 on in iTunes and our podcast. But you can go back to the beginning. But the other thing is all of these stories are linked in there. You can go directly to the link. And the link to this story, actually you can get this document as a PDF. I, I haven't read it yet. I've downloaded it. And I recommend it. It's the real 1950 document, and it's going to have a lot of juicy stuff in it. So it's written by a Rand employee named Gene Hungerford and prepared for the attention of intelligence personnel in the U.S. Air Force. The 37-page document is an extremely interesting one and delves into some highly unusual areas, one of which has a direct bearing upon the extraordinary data contained in this particular article. Hungerford stated in part, Recently, a series of religious miracles has been reported from Czechoslovakian villages. In one instance, the cross on the altar of a parish church was reported to have bowed right and left, and finally, symbolically, to the left, or to the west. Okay? The cross was bowing, okay? Mm-hmm. The miracle so impressed the Czechs that pilgrims began to converge on the village for miles around until communist officials closed the church and turn the pilgrims away from the approaching roads. So, the cross on the altar started bending mm-hmm. and then bent west. On another occasion, noted Hungerford, the Virgin Mary herself was said to have materialized in a vision and to have given a communist a resounding slap that knocked him unconscious. And then there was a story from Western Bohemia that made its way into Hungerford's report that asserted locals had seen the Virgin Mary parading along the streets of a small town with the American flag in her hand, no less. Virgin Mary, American flag. Mm -hmm. As U.S. troops and tanks followed dutifully behind. Of course, the overriding message behind these particular visitations of the Marian kind and the attendant reported miracles was acutely clear. God was A, right behind Uncle Sam, and B, hardly a noted supporter of communism. Whether or not this was all provoked by some top-secret hand of the U.S. government, of which Rand had no personal awareness, is unknown. But, as Rand noted in its report to the Air Force, the U.S. government had carefully and secretly monitored Moscow, and Czech-based radio broadcasts that discussed the claimed miracles in great depth. Most notably of all, the Russians and the Czechs exhibited deep, on-air anger and annoyance that the rumors in question were essentially casting a major slur on the entire Soviet bloc and the communist way of life. Hungerford noted something else that clearly demonstrated the large-scale extent to which American agents were dutifully monitoring this particular situation. 
According to the Foreign Broadcast Information Service's daily reports of Soviet and Eastern European radio broadcasts, there were nine broadcasts concerning the miracles between February 28th and March 19th, seven from Czech transmitters and two from Moscow, including a review of a New Times article on the subject. Every response and reaction by the Soviets appears was carefully watched and analyzed by the U.S. government. In closing on this particular matter, Hungerford detailed that the Soviets had their deep suspicions that this was all some sort of religious ruse perpetrated on them by intelligence agents in America. Concerning the report of the Virgin Mary waving the stars and stripes, a Prague-based radio broadcaster... This supposedly happened. I mean, they all believe I know. It. I, I tried the to keep words it together. I just were transcribed and translated by the CIA. Said, it is obvious at first sight that this apparition bears the mark made in the United States. These despicable machinations only helped unmask the high clergy as executors of the plans of the imperialist warmongers, communicated to them by the Vatican through its agents. That's what the communists are saying. Mm-hmm. It is this affair, and perhaps this particular RAN-originated document of 1950, that galvanized America to further explore how and under what particular circumstances religion could be used as a tool of warfare, psychological manipulation and control. Expect more revelations on this very matter in the near future. Um, so I highly recommend you get that get that document. I still got to review it. That's a topic of real interest to me mm-hmm. on how religion has been used. And I'm part of this book I'm working on. I've got a chapter that looks at how how government intelligence has co-opted religious leaders mm-hmm. uh, for government purposes and things like that. It's pretty scary. This is an extreme case where you're doing actually religious miracles. But you know, over there, when you see all the CIA plans of some of the crazy stuff, like they had that 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 gay bomb. We would go off and make guys start to make love to each other in the trenches. This stuff doesn't sound so far out. I mean, that was real. You know, they had it. Um, Kaboom! But, everything's pink. Well, you know, but they did. <laughs> you know, they started decorating and everything. Um, but the uh, oh my gosh! But the thing here w- was that the um, uh, I I could see them doing something like this because those areas are so staunchly Catholic mm-hmm. that the biggest inroad they could have into people would be able to create something. Because they're always looking for some kind of apparition or some kind of miracle like that. He's just recreate something like that that has an American overtone. And then that that's a great force multiplier, people's mm-hmm. religious faith behind the Iron Curtain. So, mm-hmm. And my curiosity is how is it being used against us. Yeah, well, we have that you know, too in world, here. In world, I'm sure you know this, but for the benefit of, I'm sure even most of our listeners know this, but for the benefit of... Kind of the few who may may not know this in World War One, uh, you know Wilson uh, uh, put out like he put it. He had basically had like versions, different versions of the same speech written and sent out, and paid five thousand pastors to deliver a pro World War One message. And uh, hmm. you know, Menna, no, Men, I didn't know that. Men, uh, really, really no. Mennonites and other send me of, a link to it. Yeah, yeah, I'll find it. Mennonites and other peace churches. Yeah. Uh, said no way, so they were locked up. Uh, he had them. He had them rounded up for being pacifists. I mean, mm-hmm. there's actually a um, there's actually a prison in in Kansas that they put them all in, mm-hmm. and uh, would like they live them leave them in Kansas in the winter with no heat. And I know stuff. you mentioned one of them died. Yeah, yeah. He refused to he refused to like do something ridiculous like lick a soldier's boot or something, yeah. and so they um they they took him out in the in the cold. 
and stripped him down, you know, stripped his chest mm-hmm. down and uh, threw water, cold water on him, threw water on him out there in the snow, and he died mm-hmm. out there. Well, you know, they have to do measures like that to preserve our freedom. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes they just have to take away, strip all our freedoms to be able to preserve them. Mm-hmm. Because you wouldn't want the Huns to do that, to march over from Germany. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have to act like the Hun it. to protect us from them. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Got a story? Yeah. This will... This is about a 9.5 on the on the what what's going on weirdness scale. Okay. Uh, I had two weirdness stories so far. You know, I said, no, no, well, you did good. I'm not, not saying second base. I'm not weirdness. saying it was bad. You know, yeah. it's 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 just like, you know, you're taking it up a notch. I'm maybe many notches. Okay. I'll let you know what's going on. Um, you recall those two Japanese individuals, those two Japanese men who were caught uh, uh, in June of 2009. Carrying 134 billion of uh, worth of undeclared U.S. bonds, they were detained. I in think Italy. you read that story on our show. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it turns out uh, uh, the Dragon family. Um, it's a it's a it's a group that represents several Asian families that are extremely wealthy mm-hmm. and secretive. You know, sort of. You almost might say like the, you know, kind of the Asian equivalent of like the Rothschilds. Wow. Uh, have filed a lawsuit. And I'll read it. An American expatriate in Bulgaria claims the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, the Office of International Treasury Control, and the Italian government conspired with a host of others to steal more than $1.1 trillion in financial instruments intended to support humanitarian purposes. The 111-page federal complaint involves a range of entities common to conspiracy theorists, including the Vatican Illuminati, the Masons, the Trilateral Trilenium Tripatriot Gold Commission, and the U.S. Federal Reserve. Plaintiff Neil Keenan claims he was entrusted in 2009 with the financial instruments, which included U.S. Federal Reserve notes worth $124.5 billion, two Japanese government bonds, with a combined face value of $19 billion, and one U.S. Kennedy bond with a face value of $1 billion by an entity called... Face co- value of $1 billion? Yeah. That's a lot of zeros to put on that bond. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, by an entity called the Dragon Family, which is a group of several wealthy and extremely secretive Asian families. The Dragon Family abstains from public view and knowledge, but upon information and belief, acts for the good and better benefit of the world in constant coordination with higher levels of global financial organizations, in particular the Federal Reserve System, Keenan claims. During the course of its existence over the last century, the Dragon Family has accumulated great wealth by having provided the Federal Reserve Bank and the United States government with asset assignments of gold and silver via certain accounts held in Switzerland, for which it has reserved consideration in the form of a variety of notes, bonds, and certificates, such as those described, that are an obligation of the Federal Reserve System. Keenan says the accrued interest the instruments are now worth um, more than $1 trillion. He says the family designated him as its principal in an effort to select certain registered and authorized private placement investment programs for the benefit of unspecified global humanitarian efforts. In his remarkable complaint, Keenan claims that the U.S. government enormous the U.S. government enormous amounts of money delivered in gold and other U.S. precious metals from the Dragon family many years ago. 
um, and that the money was placed into the Federal Reserve System for the benefit and underwrite, underwriting support of the dollar, which was to become and currently remains the global reserve currency. Keenan right. claims that conspiracy began with the illegal detention of two Japanese citizens, uh, Akihiko Yamaguchi and um, Mitsuyisho Watanabe, and the seizure of $134.5 billion in bonds they were holding in Italy uh, in June of 2009. Yamaguchi can be best described as Keenan's predecessor in trying to place Dragon Family instruments in legitimate PPPs, which I'm not sure what a PPP is, um, to advance the, glo- the group's humanitarian aims, according to the complaint. Keenan says he came to know both Yamaguchi and the Dragon family through the Japanese man's efforts on the group's behalf and that he introduced them to a bank in Cyprus with which they could do business. Keenan says that in gratitude Yamaguchi sought and was granted approval to execute a special power of attorney whereby Keenan could also act on behalf of the Dragon family to place their assets in PPPs. It was then, he says, that he took possession of the instruments that are the heart of the lawsuit. For his assistance, Keenan says he was to receive a profit share amounting to 30% of any particular PPP he arranged. That's a lot of money. A month after the Japanese men were detained, a man named Leo Zagami, a self-described 33rd degree Freemason, who as April... As, who as of April 2008 had reportedly claimed to be the leader of a breakaway faction of the Knights of Templar and high-level Freemasons centered around the elite of the Masons P2, which is a legitimate right. organization, Lodge and Monte Carlo, arrived on the scene according to the complaint. Um, this is all in, this is, this, is new, this is in a court, in a federal New York court. Zagami claimed to be a representative of the Vatican Illuminati and other European sex societies and had been looking to make contact with certain Asian secret societies, the complaint states. During a meeting in Japan, he says he told a contact that Yamaguchi and Watanabe had been set up and that he had inside information about the seized instruments. Subsequently, he introduced his contact in Japan to defendant Daniel de Bosco, a Vatican banker and associate of the P2 Masonic Lodge, uh, who, quote, would be able to cash the bonds seized by the Italian Treasury Police, according to the complaint, unquote. Hmm. Uh, the complaint alleges a complicated history with many moving parts and scores of internationally known and unknown characters, the sum of which is that Keenan claims he was entrusted with billions of dollars in bonds by the Dragon family. He claims that soon he and Del Brasco were in daily contact via Skype and they arranged to meet in Italy. During these conversations, Del Brasco represented... Uh, that he was not only a financial advisor to Zagami, but also to the Vatican, Vatican City, Rome, and the treasurer of the P2 Masonic Lodge. As a result, Keenan said, although he tried to keep personal possession of the financial instruments with which he was entrusted, he nevertheless came to trust Del Brasco and turned the bonds over to him for temporary safekeeping and custodianship. Del Brasco absconded with the bonds and sought assistance in selling the instruments in the global marketplace through stealth, conversion, and bribery, Keenan claims. He claims that as the conspiracy continued to unfold, various high-level officials repeatedly offered him a bribe of $100 million to, quote, release, unquote, the instruments without disclosing their theft to the Dragon family and to allow the instruments to be converted to a so-called uh, UN, quote, sovereign program, unquote, wholly under the auspices, protection, and umbrella of the sovereign immunity enjoyed by the defendants. 
Other defendants included UN General Secretary Ban Ki-moon, former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi, uh, Giancarlo Bruno, who was identified as head of the banking industry for the World Economic Forum, Italy's ambassador to the UN, Cesar Maria Raga, uh, Ragaflini, Ray C. Dam, president of the U.S. Uh, President of the Office of International Treasury Control, and David A. Sale, the Deputy Director for the Council of the Cabinet of the OITC. Keenan seeks the return of the stolen instruments, punitive damage, and court costs on multiple claims of fraud, breach of contract, and violation of international law. He is represented by William H. Mulligan, Jr., uh, with Beakley, Platt, and Schmidt of White Plains, New York. Hmm. That's about a nine. I'd say that's about a 9.5. What was your, what was your, uh, the reference for that? Where, where did that come from? Courthouse News Service. Courthouse News Service. Mm-hmm. And that's in, you say New York? Where was that? The, yeah, it was filed in Manhattan. Manhattan. The, the stuff. Apparently it's true, uh, because you can go to, uh, you can go to a website, um, I checked this out yeah. called Divine Cosmos, and it has a link, it has a link back to the case, uh, the actual 111-page briefing where all of the moving parts and everything is yeah. sort of laid in there. Yeah. So I would say I'm pretty sure this is real. Hmm. I mean, that had the whole kitchen sink in there. The, the only thing was left out was like uh, two Nephilim. I mean, I think if like Alex Jones or uh, Alex Jones is probably going, Dr. I don't even know Stan what to do with that, judged, brother. They'd say this is too much for me. You're blowing you want my me mind to believe here. What? Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. Wow. There you have it, man. Wow. Well, I think that explains everything. I would say that's that's probably that's going to be hard to top that one. If somebody asked you in a nutshell to summarize all that, how would you succinctly give a capsule of what's going on there? That's tough to even sort of start. But I, if I, if somebody, you know, sort of forced me yeah. into it, I would say, uh, just based solely on reading the text without interpreting mm-hmm. it, a group of wealthy Asian families mm-hmm. had some money they entrusted to a banker, and um, another another group of uh, uh, secret society families stole the money, mm-hmm. and this guy's now just coming right out and suing them in Manhattan court for it back. See, that's the one thing that makes me suspicious. I wouldn't think they'd ever settle stuff in a federal court to let their dirty laundry out. Well, I can't help but wonder if I can't help but wonder if you know the thing that they the thing that they're more afraid of than anything is is being exposed. Yeah, that's so why they, they're secret societies. Yeah. So the Dragon family, you know, I'm sure that yeah. they can maintain a much because of the, because of the where they live and how they live, they yeah. can maintain a much higher level of secrecy yeah. uh, in their various societies and lives yeah. and all this stuff. Whereas this guy's, he's coming right out and naming names. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. You um, sure that wasn't the Dragon family? It was D-R-A-G-O-N. Okay. I thought it was maybe Dragon. Because I used to go to this restaurant that I always thought was the Dragon Inn. Mm-hmm. And it turned out it was the Dragon Inn. I didn't, I didn't know. Misunderstood. It's like, oh, I drug on in here, you know. Yeah. So. I don't know. Um, I so. wish I had, had like a surname like Dragon. I, yeah. Of course, Daryl Dragon from the Captain and Tennille, he was the captain. I don't, I, you know, he could be part of that for all I know. He could. That's true. He could. Well, but, you know, love will keep them together. 
Like muskrat love. <laughs> Just like muskrat love. You can, you and I could be like another captain that's a new. Mm-hmm. So Except not, neither of us play piano. And not being married. Yeah. Um, would you like me to read something like pretty mundane and current event after mm-hmm. that? I don't know what else to add to that. I, that that may be one of the high points of weirdness. Yeah. Maybe well, in all the future quake. Of conspiratorial. Yeah. I mean, that even scared the Rockefellers. Yeah. yeah. Even Pyro ran for cover. Well, this is something probably a lot of our Futurians are already keeping on track of, but in case they've been in a cave... I'm going to mention it just in case they haven't been, okay? Mm-hmm. Because this could be a story for 2012, whether it'll, it's going to boil over at the beginning of the year or sometime later. Uh, this was a summary at Infowars.com uh, from reports from various places. Uh, U.S. troops airlifted out of Iraq to face Assad's forces. U.S. Special Forces mass on Syrian border. Following similar reports by former FBI translator Sybil Edmonds, who's been a whistleblower on mm-hmm. a lot of stuff about terrorism, uh, Israeli and intelligence sources confirm that U.S. special forces are massing in Jordan on the Syrian border, having been transferred from Iraq. Mm-hmm. So we got our folks getting ready now. It says, on Sunday, Edmonds reported that hundreds of foreign troops were witnessed near the Jordanian border village of Al-Mafraq, having moved back and forth between King Hussein Air Base of Al-Mafraq and villages adjacent to the Syrian border. After interviewing an employee in the London-based office of Royal Jordanian Airlines, Nizar Nayyuf also reported that at least one U.S. aircraft containing military personnel landed at the Prince Hassan Air Base located about 100 kilometers to the east of the city of Al-Mafraq. According to Edmonds, the mainstream media has been eager to keep the movement of the troops under wraps, with one journalist from a major publication being told by his editor that there would be no coverage of the story. The Israeli intelligence outlet Deb Kefal has now backed these reports, stating that American Special Forces troops have been diverted to positions in Jordan opposite a Syrian tank concentration building up across the kingdom's northern border. So they're right on the Syrian-Jordanian border. U.S. troops were airlifted out of the Ain al-Assad air base in Iraq to take up positions in Jordan on, from Thursday onwards, according to the report. Instead of returning to military bases in Europe or the Persian Gulf, the troops have lined up directly opposite Assad's forces, 10 kilometers from the Syrian border, and have constructed surveillance towers and army posts in the Jordanian villages of Al-Bej, Zubidaya, and Al-Nada. Mm-hmm. Nate, I know where that is. Yeah, do you? Okay. Used to hang out there. <laughs> we got a lot of listeners the best, there. They got the well, best uh, food there. Call out all the our... place fu- there over on 3rd and, yeah. and, you know, 9th Avenue. All our Futurians there. We want to say hey to them. NATO powers are preparing a new humanitarian intervention. That's another re- word for undeclared war. Mm-hmm. Humanitarian intervention. On the back of disputed reports that the Assad regime has killed 5,000 pro-democracy demonstrators, skeptical voices have pointed out that, just like Libya, the so-called protesters are in fact militants attempting to overthrow the government in the course of a civil war. Just as al-Qaeda terrorists were used to oust Gaddafi, hundreds of Libyan rebels were airlifted into Syria to aid the opposition in carrying out attacks against government forces. Great. 
Yeah. As we reported last week, the U.S. has deployed a total of three warships in the Middle East, along with several other attack boats, as tensions in the region escalate. Russia has denied reports that warships it sent to the Syrian territorial waters last month for the purpose of discouraging potential military strike in the country. And Brother Tim, by the way, one of our podcasters on Future Quake and co-host of a great show called Revelations Radio News and the Mike and Tim Show, um, told me, having been in the Navy, that when people get all worked up about you know ships moving this or that or whatever, he says, they're moving those places all the time. Don't read anything into that. Because they're moving this or there, he says it's happening. I said, "Well, thanks for the good word." I'm sort of aware of that too, but uh, but the thing about them putting our special forces on the border, that's, sort of curious. Now that's a, I mean, that's a big deal. That that the last time we had the major fight in Iraq, that was the same thing. We had special forces sort of in a similar position, and mm-hmm. of course, you know, it's easy for Obama to meet his pledge to take troops out of Iraq. If you're just taking them and shift them right over to mm-hmm. the Jordanian, exactly inside their border there, exactly. So. So, we'll see what happens. You mm-hmm. know, something could have happened by the time people hear the show, so we don't know. I don't know either. But that's it. Okay. Now, by the way, that could be limited. If if something was just going on just within Syria, these special forces could play a role in not having it spell out, or they even could move out from there mm-hmm. in to help in the, quote, rebels in Syria. Mm-hmm. Or if we have a regional war, obviously they're going to be in the middle. Man, if it goes regional, it's not going to stay regional for very long. Well, that's possible. Regional would be bad enough. I mean, oil would get to be pretty pricey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you just have you know. to go to work and then sleep in one of the beds. Pretty much. Or ride a unicycle. The upside is, is my job, like, there are beds there to sleep in, so. Yeah, it's nice. You just might have to share it with a smelly guy or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it'd be a little rough. Okay. Um, Gingrich promises personal fidelity and pledge. Now I feel okay about him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if that's one guy that honors his pledges, it's him. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. His track record shows if he makes a pledge, he'll keep it. Well, we'll get into it here, but what's interesting is, uh, I'll make note of it here before we, we, we get into it. Uh, this this uh, council here uh, has this special marriage pledge that uh, Rick Perry, Michelle Bachman, and... Um, uh, Rick Santorum have all signed, mm-hmm. saying, you know, we believe in the fidelity of marriage, and, uh, um, you know, we just uphold the institution specifically, uh, specifically through our personal fidelity and through, um, you know, legislation that we'll, we would like to, you know, mm-hmm. uphold if we become whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, Gingrich didn't actually sign it. But he did send a neat letter saying it was a good idea. <laughs> so, um, at any rate, yeah. Gingrich promises personal fidelity and pledge. Newt Gingrich stepped up his efforts to appeal to evangelical Christian voters in Iowa Monday by promising and writing to, quote, defend and strengthen the family, unquote. Gingrich, who had been married three times, specifically said he would uphold the institution of marriage through personal fidelity to my spouse and respect for the marital bonds of others. Mm-hmm. What about the mistresses that he has that includes respecting their marital bonds? You know, there's a comment at the bottom of this article that says, uh, uh, God only knows how many abortions Newt Gingrich has been responsible for. Whew, I hate to think about that. Yeah. And... uh 
Yeah. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gingrich made the pledge to the Family Leader, a socially conservative group based in Iowa. The organization has its own marriage pledge that other 2012 White House hopefuls have signed, including Texas Governor Rick Perry, Minnesota Representative Michelle Bachman, and former Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santorum. Gingrich did not sign the Family Leader's pledge himself, but did provide a lengthy written response to the organization. The former House Speaker said he was fully committed to defending traditional marriage, including enforcing the Defense of Marriage Act and supporting a constitutional amendment defining marriage as between a man and woman. Gingrich also used his pledge to lambast what he calls an intrusion of federal courts into the private lives of Americans, saying the phenomenon amounts to a constitutional crisis. Which is funny, because you don't see him saying much about the fact that we don't have rights anymore. Mm -hmm. No. Yep. No, he wants to take more of them away. Mm-hmm. In a statement accompanying Gingrich's pledge, Family Leader President and CEO Bob Vanderplatz welcomed the former House Speaker's commitment. We are pleased that Gingrich has affirmed our pledge, and, our, and we are thankful we have on record his statements regarding DOMA, um, that's the support of a federal marriage amendment, uh, defense, defense of Marriage Act. Yeah, defending the unborn, pledging fidelity to a spouse. Defending religion, mm-hmm. religious liberty and freedom, supporting sound pro-family economic issues, and defending the right of the people to rule themselves, Vanderplatt said. In November, the group said it had narrowed the list of candidates it might endorse to four, Gingrich, Perry, Bachman, and Santorum. Political mm-hmm. observers have long... They didn't include the guy that's been married for 54 years to the same wife. No. Political observers have long questioned Gingrich's ability to socially conservative Christian voters because of his multiple marriages. The pledge made Monday came after Perry questioned Gingrich's marriages to a Republican primary debate in Iowa Saturday. Perry warned that a politician who was unfaithful to his wife might also cheat in other ways, adding, if you cheat on your wife, you cheat on your business partner. So I think that that issue of fidelity is important. Um, You know, you don't hear much about that issue with Perry because he basically was his own worst enemy. But, uh, you know, if you believe Alex Jones and people who live in Austin, mm-hmm. Perry shouldn't be one to be talking if if what they say is yeah, true. Yeah, there was if some, what they say is right. Some, and I don't know. Yeah, there was some some pretty pretty wild rumors circulating about Mr. Perry. Yeah, Mr. Perry, to say the least. And I think a lot of that has to go with people who are in positions of power and authority, mm-hmm. and that is sort of innate. Mm-hmm. That's why you don't vote. You know, that would be like saying, let, let's just say some of those were true, to say everybody in Texas cheats on their wife. Well, obviously, that's absolutely ridiculous. But we do that with other people groups across the world. Mm. We have a few nutcases that they're leaders to say stuff, and we think that the whole country, you know, is evil or they have these negative attributes. When basically, when you get people in positions of power, whether it's in our country or anywhere else, this is how they start to behave, typically, with mm-hmm. a few rare exceptions. Yep. So, anyway, that's I mean, that's it. Oh, Gingrich took the criticism in stride, saying, I've made mistakes at times. I've had to go to God for forgiveness. I think people have to measure who I am now and whether I'm a person they can trust. Hmm. Well, if people can't soothe him, I don't know what to tell them. Our, our listeners that listen to Future Quake that listen to the kind of material we've covered, I I hope that they have the general wisdom, it seems like from the emails I get from them, that they can see through that kind of thing. 
whether they always agree with us or not, but at least in that front. Um, this is a story that um, is from Reuters, and it actually gives uh, this, this whole sort of cloud internationally over right now over a potential war mm-hmm. in the Middle East and Iran. You know, we hear everything about on our side, quote, our side, what impact it would have, you know, what people are thinking, or we hear about what the leaders in different countries. This is a story that talks about what the average people on the street in Iran are feeling from what's coming up. People don't realize that there are, and I'm not debating the goodness or badness of their leaders and what they've done. Mm-hmm. That's a separate issue. What I'm saying is is that all of the sanctions that have been done and stuff like that have put a stranglehold on the people of Iran, mm-hmm. and they're actually punishing them rather than the leaders. And... Uh, this talks a little bit about the terror that they're under right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says the threat of military strikes in Iran has upturned the quiet and comfortable lives once enjoyed by many Iranians, ushering in a new era of struggle and fear. Like many Iranians, Maryam Sophie said the West and Iran are locked in a dangerous game. I don't think we can know just yet if war will break out, but I am concerned for my family and my country says university teacher Sophie, 42, a mother of two. Okay, woman instructor there. Mm-hmm. Probably under Sharia, but she's a woman in university instructor. I cannot sleep at night thinking about destruction and bloodshed if Israel and America attack Iran. The United States and Israel have not ruled out military action against Iran's nuclear facilities if diplomacy fails to dis- resolve a dispute over a program they suspected aimed at developing atomic weapons. In Washington on Thursday, U.S. President Barack Obama said the United States was considering all options on Iran and would work with allies to prevent Tehran from acquiring a nuclear weapon. No options off the table means I'm considering all options, he said. Sanctions and diplomatic pressure still appear to be Washington's preferred course of action, but Israel has been sending mixed signals unnerving Iranians. Shouting above the clanking hammers of coppersmiths in Tehran's busy bazaar, Nut seller Ali encouraged his customers to hoard his wares. It says, buy in store. War is looming. Okay, here's what the vendors on the streets are saying mm-hmm. in Tehran. Tensions with the West rose after heart. Can you imagine if you're a child there in Tehran hearing that stuff? It'd be like kids here during the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know? I mean, well, like people still remember worse, today. Yeah. You know, nobody shot anything at, during the Cuban Missile yeah, Crisis. Yeah, but I mean that the tension of what, you know, what could happen. Uh-huh. Tensions with the West rose after hardline students stormed two British diplomatic compounds in Tehran last week uh, in protest against new sanctions imposed after the U.N. nuclear agency suggested Iran was pursuing nuclear weapons. Britain closed its embassy, and France, Germany, Italy, and Netherlands recalled their envoys. The diplomatic exodus, swollen by some foreign military businessmen based in Tehran, has heightened nervousness in the capital to a level not felt since the outbreak of the war with Iraq in the 1980s or the turmoil that preceded the 79 Islamic Revolution that toppled the U.S. back Shah. Mm-hmm. Foreigners are leaving Iran. Isn't it obvious that they want to attack Iran, the teacher said, a teacher said, Mina? Jane Heshmatize, uh, 59, among many Western women married to Iranians, okay, so she's got an Iranian <laughs> husband, that's why she's there, is torn between fear of attack and loyalty to Iran. My home is here. Okay, she's a Westerner that's found a home there. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to just walk away and leave everything behind, said the Swede, 
who has lived in northern Iran for 21 years since marrying an Iranian businessman. And Iranians have been stoking their own fears with speculation about what could happen if war broke out. In case of an attack, we will be imprisoned inside the country. The borders will be closed, said Zara Farzaneh, 82, whose son lives in the United States. I will die without seeing my grandchildren again. Okay, that's the concern of the average Iranian on the street. Mm-hmm. It says, Tehran denies that its nuclear weapon is anything but peaceful. It says it is developing the technology to generate electricity and not create an atom bomb. Analysts say Tehran could retaliate against any military strike by launching hit-and-run attacks in the Gulf and by closing the Strait of Hormuz. About 40% of all traded oil leaves the Gulf region through the strategic waterway. Iranian citizens, already feeling the impact of international sanctions, are starting to take precautionary measures. On social media sites such as Twitter and Facebook, exiled Iranians talk about their concerns, exchanging ideas about how to help their relatives in case of an attack on Iran. We have survived a revolution, the Iraq-Iran War. Our people cannot tolerate another crisis, Mitra, an Iranian in Brussels, said on her Twitter page. It will be a terrible war. After the first strike, the country and then the whole region will be turned into a war zone. Mm-hmm. People need to be thinking about that, you know. Said Hossein Alay, a shopkeeper in central Tehran. They will destroy everything. I am stockpiling goods and have told my relatives to do so. So I wonder if they're buying from Survivor Mall. You think that's where they're getting it? <laughs> Thanks, baby. Uh, analysts say the closure of Western embassies by cutting off communication channels will complicate finding a diplomatic solution to the nuclear dispute. Uh, Iran has warned Israel and the United States that Tehran's response will be tough should they launch a military strike. But Israelis seem not to be worried about a potential conflict, and life goes on as before. A December 1 poll by the Saban Center for Mideast Policy at the U.S. think tank Brookings found that 43% of Israeli Jews Back to attacking Iran by while forty one percent opposed. So they're about split down yeah. the middle. Israeli people are divided amongst themselves. Just as there are fears of an attack, there are also no less heartfelt fears of not taking a preemptive strike at the proper time. Columnist Israel Harrell wrote for Haretz. However, regularly scheduled siren tests are being carried out in different parts of Israel, a common phenomenon in a country whose southern areas often come under rocket attack from Palestinian militants in the Gaza Strip. One just sounded in Jerusalem, and shoppers in the parking lot of the city's main indoor mall across the street didn't even break stride as they headed toward its entrance or their cars. So they're like, eh, ho-hum. Civil defense sirens, you know. But in Tehran, the heavy demand for hard currency reflected war jitters. People are converting any assets they can. Some are selling jewelry or withdrawing their cash from savings account and selling stock market shares to buy dollars, said Hamid, a currency dealer on a busy street in southern Tehran. But fear was mixed with defiance. America has economic problems and wants to resolve it by attacking Iran. I am ready to sacrifice my blood for my country, said a member of the hardline Bajik militia who refused to give his name. The cost of many basic necessities like bread, meat, and transportation has shot up, sometimes by over 50% in recent months, painful in a country where the average monthly rate, r- wage is around $600. Hmm. 
Despite sharply climbing prices, most grocery stores and markets are still well stocked. But many factories in Iran are facing closure because of deteriorating economic conditions, and hundreds of thousands of workers have taken wage cuts. Inflation is surging and shortages are spreading. We do not even have enough money to buy staples, let alone stockpiling them. I am very worried, an unemployed worker, Ali Tavangar, 45, Father of Four, said. Uh, would you mind if I just said a quick prayer? For the innocent people. For all of the innocent common folk of the Middle East. And that includes Israel, Iran, Syria, Jordan, mm-hmm. uh, Lebanon, well, and all other parts. Would yeah, that be okay? Yeah, even even our boys who are going to go over there and yeah. get... You know, some of them are going to die. A drug, drug over there. Yep. Let me let me just Please. say prayer for him. Heavenly Father, um, we come to you asking you a very ambitious prayer. Um, we recognize much, much bigger things than us are going on, bigger wheels in motion in the Middle East that uh, could change the world as we know it and uh, could have long-lasting effects and cost the lives of so many people. And, and countless others that would be either hurt or maimed or lose loved ones or, or lose their homes, become refugees. Uh, th- th- it just could be so huge, Lord. And then the ramifications of the economy around the world could cre- even create a depression worldwide. And, Lord, I just want to pray, first of all, for all of the people in the affected area that could come in direct harm's way that are decent, hardworking people that want to please you as they they understand you god even if they don't have a full awareness who you are to varying degrees be they muslim or jew or or whatever um lord i just pray for those who are not self-serving and opportunistic and ambitious in their agenda to exploit others that you would supernaturally protect them lord whether they be in tehran or or in tel aviv or in uh, beirut or Damascus, or wherever they may be, Lord. Those people who just want to raise their families and live in a way that pleases you, uh, Lord, somehow protect them and their family and, and their shops and their place where they work and their homes and their way to, to be able to make a living. Um, do it in such a way, Lord, that they would come to know you in a more deeper way and that maybe even uh, you would send a vision of your son Jesus to them during this time and say that you're supernaturally protecting them and and for them to come to him lord i pray i pray for them lord for those who are part of the people that are causing this problem and are trying to exploit things for their own agenda even them lord i pray for their repentance mm-hmm. i pray that either right now or as it's going on that they would plead to you in mercy and that you would be gracious and forgiving to them lord and that they would turn from their wicked ways. And, and Lord, uh, where, where death is written and foretold, Lord, I pray that it would be only for those who are unrepentant and insist on being an enemy to your ways and your people, wherever they are. So, Lord, I just pray that your will would be done. I pray that we would have love in our hearts. I pray for other people around the world that aren't even in direct line of sight of, of, of danger. Lord, that you would protect them and, and how this may impact their ability to make a living. Uh, and and as, as Brother Tom says here, Lord, I pray for our troops who are being sent over in the middle of all this, whether they're on a border of Syria, whether they're on a ship in the Persian Gulf, uh, wherever they may be, they may even be dropped 
uh, behind enemy lines. Lord, I pray that uh, that you would lead them to do honorable things and that they would do what you would have done and that they would remember, Lord, even while they're called to do dangerous things, that, that they're still subject to the golden rule. And, Lord, that they would look at the operations they're doing and recognize they're dealing with other people who are your children. And, and Lord, protect them. And, uh, Lord, I know this is not a season uh, that will bring peace until you show up. But I sure pray, Lord, that you would protect and that our prayer would be effective. All our Futurians praying with us right now would be effective to protect the innocent people, uh, those who are not self-serving in this whole incident and scenario going on, Lord, that you would somehow protect them and that your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right on, man. Thanks, bro. Got something for us, bro? Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires, pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. I've always wondered about that. What passage is that? James 4.1. <laughs> um, I just always think about that when I hear about all these people fighting. That's a perfect passage. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he's. It's it's interesting because at first glance it sounds like he's talking about war because they use the word war. Yeah. A little bit different context, but when you look at it more carefully, no, it really does apply. It's a microcosm of something that's carried out on a uh-huh. macro scale as well. Yeah. yeah. I've got I've got a little bit of a twofer here. I'm just okay. going to read a paragraph or two about this. Okay. This this thing, and then we'll segue over into another story. All right. The first one comes from the Independent, UK. Yeah. Um, sterilization. Peru's darkest secret. Um, did we not talk about that last week? So did we? I believe so. Okay. Well, I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean. I just thought I should. Fujimori. Yeah. Oh, I guess we did. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. My bad. Well, then I'll just segue over into the next article then, okay. since we're all up to speed. Sorry about that. Thousands sterilized. A state weighs res- restitution. Linwood, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Charles Holt, 62, spread a cachet of vintage government uh, records across his trailer floor. They are the stark facts of a state-ordered sterilization. The -hmm. report begins when he was barely a teenager fighting at school uh, and doing all sorts of other stuff. A social worker wrote that he and his parents were of rather low mentality. Mr. Holt was sent to a state home for people with mental and emotional problems in 1968 when he was ready to get out and start life as an adult, the Eugenics Board of North Carolina ruled that he should first have a vasectomy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> a social worker convinced his mother it was for the best. We especially emphasized that it was a way of protecting Charles in case he were falsely accused of having fathered a child, the social worker wrote to the board. That's dark. Now, along with the scores of others selected for state sterilization, among them uneducated young girls who had been raped by older men, poor teenagers from large families, people with epilepsy and those deemed to be feeble-minded, uh, too feeble-minded to raise children, Mr. Holt is waiting to see what a state that had one of the country's most aggressive eugenics programs will decide, will decide his fertility was worth. Although North Carolina officially apologized in 2002, 
uh, and legislators have pressed to compensate victims before. A task force appointed by Governor Bev Perdue is again wrestling with the state's obligation to the estimated 7,600 victims of its eugenics program. The board operated from 1933 to 1977. You know, um, um, Dennis Cuddy lives in North Carolina. Dr. Cuddy's mm-hmm. been on our show. Mm-hmm. And he has done a very good job, too. If people want to know more about North Carolina has been sort of notorious, but don't mm-hmm. mean just to pick on him, but he's been privy to a lot of that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, the board operated from 33 to 70, 1977 as an experiment in the genetic engineering once considered a legitimate way to keep welfare rolls small, stop poverty, and improve the gene pool. <laughs> 31 other states. Now this, this is, wait a second. This is America, the Christian nation, right? Yep. We're, we're America, exceptional. We're America exceptional in, our, mm-hmm. in your eugenics. 31 other states had eugenics programs. Virginia and California each sterilized more people than North Carolina, but more, no program was more aggressive. Only North Carolina gave social workers the power to designate people for sterilization. They often relied on IQ tests like those done on Mr. Holt, whose scores reached 73. It's a pretty low score. Mm. But for some victims who often spent more time picking cotton than in school, the IQ tests at the time were not necessarily, necessarily accurate predictors of capability. Hmm. It's also true. For example, as an adult, Mr. Holt, Holt held down three jobs at once, delivering newspapers, working at a grocery store, and doing maintenance for a small city. He was certainly a hard worker. Yeah. Wealthy businessmen, among them James Haynes, the hosiery magnate, and Dr. Clarence mm-hmm. Gamble. That guy was evil. Uh, of the, the guy that made Haynes hosiery. Uh-huh. As well as the guy at uh, Clarence, Dr. Clarence Gamble, he was the heir to the Proctor mm-hmm. and Gamble fortune. They they largely drove the eugenics movement. Now, what's interesting, mm-hmm. we reviewed a couple of future quakes ago. Was uh, Dr. Clarence Gamble's son has a video out called "What in the World" or something like that? Mm-hmm. Will it take? And the essential thing is that uh, our government is sitting on plans for free energy that they got from aliens. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's like uh something about this is extremely non congruent. Mm-hmm. The son of a the son of a group of people is who was, you know, there to sterilize people. His son is now saying he's found the solution and it's in the stars. Well, see that's why they're the master race. They had to get rid of the other ones, so mm-hmm. that selective breeding you get great people like that. Look look at the European royalty. They did selective breeding amongst themselves and now they have basically the problem of inbred. That's what they make fun of people, hillbillies. There's mm-hmm. what what uh, European royalty has become. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dr. Clarence Gamble and uh, James Haynes uh, helped form the Human Betterment League of North Carolina in 1947 and found a sympathetic bureaucrat in Wallace Carrault, the father of the television journalist Real. Charles Carrault. Right. That's the only Corralt I knew. I wanted to be related. A proponent of birth control in all forms, Mr. Corralt used the program extensively when he was director of the Mecklenburg County Welfare Department from 1945 to 1972. That county had more sterilizations than any other in the state. Overall, about 70% of the North Carolina operations took place after 1945, and many of them were on young, poor women and racial minorities. Non-white minorities made up about 40% of those sterilized, and girls and women made up about 85%. The program, while not specifically devised to target racial minorities, um, 
a lot I could say about that, affected mm-hmm. black Americans disproportionately because they were more often poor and uneducated and from large rural families. The state owes something to the victims, said Governor Perdue, sure. who campaigned on the issue. But what? Five-member task force has been meeting uh, since May to try to determine what that might be. A final report is due in February. This week, the task force set some priorities. Money was the most important thing to the offer to offer victims, followed by mental health services. Uh, how much to pay is a vexing question. And what North Carolina does will be closely watched by other officials in other states. In a period of severe budget cuts and layoffs, money for eugenic fix victims can be a hard sell to legislators. Well, sorry, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, come on. Um, the states began practicing eugenics in earnest in the United States in the 20s and 30s, driven by a philosophy of social engineering once so popular that President Woodrow Wilson... Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., and Margaret Sainer, the founder of Planned Parenthood, were all ardent supporters. Yeah. I mean, none of this is super, super interesting stuff. We've all seen this before, but this guy is laying it all out right here in a New York Times article. Before most of the programs... Now, when are you going to hear about this in Christian media? When do they ever talk about any of this is our history? Not very much. I think David Barton's probably not going to be talking about this of our Christian legacy. What do you think? I'd love to debate him someday. Yeah. That'd be cool. And I, you know what? I would pay to watch it, to watch Tom Bionic against David Barton. Boy, it would be a laugh riot. I would even pay for the uh, paramedic to give instant first aid to him afterwards. <laughs> probably he would need those paddles to, like, resuscitate him afterwards. Man, yeah. Hear that sucking sound? That's the sound of your career going down the tubes. Mm-hmm. Well, always give him a chance to repent. Yeah. Um, that would be a cool debate, though. Mm-hmm. I'd have, like, I'd have, like, Chris Pinto, like, monitoring it, like, mm-hmm. a little thing in my earpiece. Color commentary by Longshoreman Johnny. Ha, 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 
it goes on and there's uh, there's all sorts of other mm-hmm. things there, you know. Yeah. So. Mm. Um, Very interesting. Yeah. Pretty pretty horrible. Um, this story is um, real different. It, it it's very much like sort of original future quakeish and that like what may be of the future. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is from a, a, a magazine called uh, Fast Company. Sort of a new up-and-coming magazine right now, Fast Company. It says, uh, former seasteaders come ashore to start libertarian utopias in the Honduran jungle. Sweet. I'm going to Honduras. Heard of that. Uh, foregoing the plan to build independent floating cities away from chafing laws, some libertarians, led by Milton Friedman's grandson no less, have found something better. Desperate countries willing to allow the founding of autonomous libertarian cities within their borders. The seasteader-in-chief is headed ashore. Patrick Friedman, that's Milton Friedman's grandson to you, who stepped down as the chief executive of the Peter Thiel-based Seasteading Institute in August, has resurfaced as the CEO of a new for-profit enterprise named Future Cities Development, Inc., which aims to create new cities from scratch on land this time, governed by cutting-edge legal systems. The startup may have found its first taker in Honduras, whose government abandoned its constitution in January to permit the creation of special autonomous zones exempt from local and federal laws. It's very curious what that's Mm -hmm. about. Future Cities has signed a non-binding memorandum of understanding to build a city in one such zone starting next year. Seasteading, uh, i.e. the creation of sovereign nations floating offshore, is enshrined in libertarian thought as an end run around the constraints of stodgy nation states. The idea has received plenty of uh, mocking mainstream coverage, uh, most recently in a details profile of Thiel, in which Friedman outlined the new startup he had in mind. One potential model is something Friedman calls Appletopia, a corporation such as Apple starts a country as a business. The more desirable the country, the more viable the real estate, Friedman says. Future cities, you know, this is getting more and more like, you remember the uh, book and the movie Rollerball? Yeah. They had, it was almost like countries ran, I mean, corporations ran their, you know, nation states, places like that. Mm-hmm. So, it's a little scary back then. Mm-hmm. Um it says, Future Cities follows his approach, describing its mission as bringing Silicon Valley spirit of innovation to the implementation of cutting-edge legal systems in new cities, most likely in the role of the city's master developer. Citing laissez-faire entrepots, such as Hong Kong and Singapore, as examples, the company's founders believe the strong property rights and business-friendly regulation are key to creating jobs, stimulating investment, and lifting millions out of poverty, a la China's special economic zones, which I don't know have been all completely successful. But the evidence is much stronger, Friedman replies, when asked if he's building another libertarian utopia, that rule of law, fairness, and a lack of corruption leads to more economic growth than low taxes. Not that when they're mutually inclusive, as Singapore demonstrates. Rule of law, fairness, and a lack of corruption leads to more economic... Okay, um, that's not the quote. Instead of seasteading, future cities is modeling itself on charter cities. 
the brainchild of New York University economist Paul Romer, uh, a charter city combines a host nation's vacant land, in this case Honduras, with the legal system and institutions of another, for example Canada, and residents drawn from anywhere. Romer's central insight is that good governance uh, is transplantable. Rather than wait for a basket case nation to come around begging, a charter city could help show it the way, as Hong Kong did for Deng Xiaoping you know, in China. Mm-hmm. Romer spent two years jetting across Africa, fruitlessly searching for takers before aides to Honduran President Porfirio Lobo stumbled across his idea last fall. In February, the Honduran Congress voted to amend the Constitution to create special development regions called REDs in order to implement his ideas. But it was an exclusive deal. Romer said he first heard of SED a month ago when its proposal was brought before the committee which oversees the Reds, of which Romer is a member. Future cities' marketing materials quote Romer repeatedly and explicitly cite charter cities as our model. For his part, Romer emphasizes that he has no involvement with SED and cites his nonprofit think tank's strict conflict of interest policy. So they're just using his theories. While Romer shares the belief that neoliberal globalization can be harnessed toward humanitarian ends by creating work, skills, and a path out of poverty where there currently is none, he has no intentions of making money while doing it. Well, good for him. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Friedman says his company is inspired by Romer's model and didn't mean to imply there was any relationship between the two. It remains to be seen whether SCD's non-binding agreement with Honduras will proceed or whether its leaders will like to stick with Romer's charter city for now. One thing that seems certain is that the SCD's interest in Honduras, the recent site of a coup, human rights abuses, and land seizures, will bring a fresh round of criticism to the charter city model. Uh, while Romer has been battling unflattering comparisons to colonialism since he first presented the idea, SCD's sudden interest in Honduras reads like an epilogue uh, to the Shock Doctrine, which is a book I have on my thing ready to read. Hmm. Naomi Klein's 2007 book, Tracing the Checkered History of Free Market Reforms in the Wake of Political Crises, like 1970s Chile, 1990s Russia, or mm-hmm. 2000 Iraq. The Doctrine's godfathers and Klein's telling are Milton Friedman and his disciples at the University of Chicago Economic Department. Mm -hmm. It now appears his grandson is offering to experiment with the legal system of one of Latin America's poorest countries. Mm. Friedman's board members include Giancarlo Eborguin, president of University Francisco Marroquin in Guatemala City, a hotbed of libertarian thought, where the library is named after Austrian economics Ludwig von Mises. Did you know that? Really? Wait, where is that? in Guatemala City. Uh, and bust of Friedrich Hayek. You know, we should have a lot of Futurians down there, you would think. And bust of Friedrich Hayek and Milton Friedman decorate the campus. It'd be cool to go down there and maybe get a degree. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. master's. In- well, we'll get you in touch. Maybe uh, Mel- uh, uh, Rockmore, Lou Rockmore could put you in. Who? Rockmore. What, um, Rockwell? Who's, um, who's the libertarian guy here out of Auburn? The Mises Institute. Oh, I thought it was Lou Rockwell. Rockwell, is that was? Oh, I'm sorry. I know okay, a Rockmore. Yeah, I'm having a. Actually, I, I see somebody with like some little gun aiming it at my head, and my brain is starting to get real warm. I don't know if that's yeah. what I do. Some alpha waves. Um, 
So it's he, uh, he's also the co-founder of the recently announced Free Cities Institute with Michael Strong, an associate and arch defender of Whole Foods CEO John Mackey. The real audience that matters most is not the Naomi Klein's of the old, Patrick Friedman says defiantly, but the people of Honduras. If we can create jobs and build a better city than the ones they have, they'll be happy. Hmm. You know, uh, the jury's out with me on that. Usually I have a strong opinion, thumbs up, thumbs down. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we have some friends of ours that have been talking about libertarian, the dark side of it. Mm-hmm. And I recognize there can be a dark side. Sure, it's not perfect. The dark, better than the other the two. The dark but... side is the Ayn Rand side. Yeah. The the libertarian is not a soul. That we still don't have a moral con- conscience and obligation to take care of people. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if these things end up being like what Walt Disney originally planned for Epcot to be, which would be a corporation-run city mm-hmm. where people didn't have any property rights. They didn't have they didn't pick their government. Uh, like you know these new cities, will they have a bill of rights? Uh, who controls the police there? You know, mm-hmm. is it all based upon what the corporation gets for the maximum profit? If that's the case, then what happens to the well-being of the people in the city? Who knows? You know, very curious. Answer. It's all but a mess. Things won't stay static. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Oh, let me just say something real quick for you. Mm-hmm. I just saw something pop up right now. It'll be old news to our listeners, but mm-hmm. I thought you'd be interested in this. Mm-hmm. It says there's a new new report out on Drudge. says uh, realtors are saying we've overcounted new home sales for five years. So it's not as rosy as what it was, which means it's been horrible, but it's been more horrible yep. than what. And the other, the other one here that I thought you would find interesting uh, says that uh, Syrian president's advisor threatens to release sex tapes involving rulers from Gulf countries. So that's his crash and burn, you know, uh, get out of jail free card. He's got y'all take me down. I'm going to let everybody know in the world what you guys are doing. That's how the P2 Masonic Lodge uh, influenced thousands of people in Italy during the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Just holding incriminating information on They had 50,000 files on the political elite of Italy. Wow. Yeah. It was a... It was a, they housed it all in a building, like a 6,800 square foot building yeah. that was nothing but paper files on all of these. You know, worked good for uh, FBI. Yeah. They they kept all the presidents, everybody else under control because they had the goods. Well, and by the way, I saw uh, the movie about J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah, interesting movie. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio, like he was always sort of a pretty boy when he started. He's yeah. really becoming a pretty respectable not, actor. Not not a bad actor. Yeah, uh, they weren't able to really make his voice seem old or anything. Yeah, but the makeup was spot on. I don't think I've ever seen better old people makeup. Than what they had for him, not necessarily for the other characters, but for him, uh-huh. they made him look old. Did they I, get into his gay dalliances at all? Yeah, yeah. they did. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it was done in a way that left a little bit of ambiguity and almost a little bit of explaining why he may have had those tendencies. And I did not even know this before I saw the movie. I went with Mrs. Future mm-hmm. when we were coming out. I didn't realize the director or producer was Clint Eastwood. Hmm. And I'm finding he has a real tact of being able to take some really uncomfortable topics and put a little sensitivity in it, which mm-hmm. is sort of ironic given his dirty, hairy, and yeah. man with no name background. I know what you're thinking. Yeah. Did he use five bullets or did he use six? <laughs> Feeling lucky. A man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> okay, Dirty Harry, read us a story over there. Okay. This is from Technology Review, 
And I'll just kind of give you a little bit more of a... It, it's a very long article, but I'll give you a little bit more of a synopsis. Yeah, give us a synopsis. Um, you know, one of the things we've talked about is this multi-billion dollar crowd surfing industry. Well, it turns out it's basically growing exponentially over in China. Hmm. Um, crowd surfing? Yeah, where you have paid paid shills that will comment on a website, playing a comment and, you know, comment on a website saying all sorts of stuff. And you'll have like half a dozen people all there commenting. Do you mean like trolls, basically? Yeah, trolls. Okay. Yeah. When you said crowd surfing, I, that's, I was thinking about what I do when I go to rock concerts, because a lot of times I'll yeah, run up Dr. on the stage. Future, yeah! And when Woo! the security gets to me on stage, I'll just jump out in a mosh pit, and then mm-hmm. I make my way back to... A lot of times they just let you go. They're like, it's Dr. Future uh, size hole oh. erupts in the crowd. Yeah, well, they're, afraid, they're afraid I'm going to land on them and crush yeah. them, so... Yep. Um, anyway... A trawl of Chinese crowdsourcing websites where people can earn a few pennies for small jobs such as labeling images has uncovered a multi-million dollar industry that pays hundreds of thousands of people to distort interactions in social networks and to post spam. The report's authors at the University of California, Santa Barbara, also found evidence that crowdsourcing sites in the U.S. are similarly dominated by ethically questionable jobs. They conclude that the rapid growth of this way of making money will, pay, will make paid shills a serious security problem for websites and those who use them around the world. A paper describing their results is available at the ARCS uh, ARXIV preprint server, wherever that is. Mm. Uh, ben Zhao, an associate professor of computer science at UCSB and a TR35 winner in 2006, um, started looking into the largely uncharted crowdsourcing industry in China while working closely with RenRen, a social network that is sometimes called the Facebook of China, to track malicious activity on the site. Zhao was intrigued to see a lot of relatively sophisticated attempts to send spam and promote brands by users that appeared to be working with specific agendas. When he and his colleagues investigated the source of that activity, the team was surprised by what it found, said Zhao. Evil crowdsurfing on a very large scale. Quote, unquote. Influencing public opinion with fake, quote, grassroots activity, unquote, is known as astroturfing, leading Zhao to to coin the term crowd turfing, since it is done via large crowdsourcing sites. Hmm. Um, Filippo Menzier, um, director of the Center for Complex Networks and Systems Research at the University of Indiana, is working to develop systems to detect political astroturfing on Twitter. It's already a hard thing to do, and probably it will get much more difficult, he says, especially as crowdsourcing services become easier to use. Menzier's group first built a system to detect political astroturfing in the run-up to the most recent midterm elections. It first identifies threads of political discussion circulating on Twitter using hashtags, links, links, names, and sentences. Software trained to recognize both legitimate and astroturfing tweets then send then sifts fraudulent message from that soup of political discussion and even tracks their success in influencing real users. That system was able to find automated accounts by sending carefully varying messages promoting certain political sites. But Mencier has always suspected that that they suspected they were missing an unknown amount of more subtle astroturfing campaigns. Looking at the origin of crowdsurfing, astroturfing provides another perspective, he says. The fact there are websites almost dedicated to making it easy to hire people to do this is further evidence that this is happening, says Menzier. 
who is working to upgrade his astroturfing detection system to analyze discussion around next year's presidential elections. Mm. So, uh, not only is the troll problem bigger in the mm-hmm. United States government and private companies are involved in it and over in China, it's like ten times the size. I guess I'm glad we don't have comments on the Future Quake website because as incredibly popular as ours is, yeah. they'd want to get the millions of listeners we have and do the same thing, yes. probably. Uh-huh. Likely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They would give the fascist view or something like that to yep. add to it. You know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I just have one story left, and it's a quickie, a little short mm-hmm. thing. Um, and this is one that probably most people heard in the news, but... It's still what we should submit it in the official future quick record mm-hmm. um, because I think it's a foreshadowing of things to come. Um, this was from CBS News New York. Verizon apologizes for bogus emergency text message sent to New Jersey residents. Um, you, you remember they just had that thing recently that was controversial on cable where every kind of media we have got a simultaneous urgent message from the president. Mm-hmm. Remember they did that and... Mm-hmm. They, they said, oh, we're just debugging the system. Don't be alarmed. Mm-hmm. Don't read anything into this. We're just doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, they're testing all these systems, and now here this happens um, in Trent, New Jersey. Verizon has issued an apology after sending out an alarming text message to New Jersey residents. State police say the bogus text urging people to, quote, take shelter before 1.24 p.m. was sent out at 12.26 Monday to residents in Middlesex, Monmouth, Morris, and Ocean Counties. Monmouth County Sheriff Sean Golden said the message was marked as an extreme alert, stating there was a civil emergency in the area, basically saying they, within less than an hour, take immediate shelter. Uh, we did see quite a spike in 911 calls going into our Sheriff's Office Communication Center, they told 1010 WINS. Mm. Uh, Verizon said the alert was supposed to say test message. Residents have been told to ignore the alert. This test message was not clearly identified as a test, the company said in a statement. We apologize. Any inconvenience or concern this message may have caused. Homeland Security immediately put out word on Twitter that there was no civil emergency. Um, So now I guess the cell phones are all on board with sending out the emergency messages on everybody's phone. Hmm. Great. You know, it could be that they're just being prudent, and this just so happens to be a time mm-hmm. when they're finally getting around to doing it. Yeah. But it does make you wonder, is yeah, they're getting all this stuff in a hurry for a real reason. Well, I'll tell you what. There was a story, uh, a friend of mine who is a investigative journalist mm-hmm. uh, tracked a story down where some guy who works, I guess, I guess uh, the Mormons... You know, they're very big into storable food right. and all that stuff. There's a list, sort of a master list of all the Mormons who've stored right, food. Right, right. Well, um, this was in the news. I saw Oh, really? Story yeah, of the this. Department of Homeland Security yeah. demanded the list. I had it as a potential story. But, yeah, yeah. They, they took over the list of people that had yeah. the food. Yeah, uh, although the person who said that then backed off his story and said, no, they really didn't demand it. They just asked who the names were and how much they had. Well, still, what business do they have I know. on that? That's, it's funny because, like, that's It's like our other Futurian friend that's being harassed by the census, mm-hmm. you know, to give all this information and stuff about... Or the other gentleman like, really, we know really that personal has, information. that, uh, that uh, every from, from time to time gets a call from a guy named Patrick from DHS. <laughs> well, we don't know if it's DHS, but... Well, okay. Strange guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. 
We haven't uh, talked to him about that. No, we haven't. We need to ask him. But, you know, ask him where people got food stored. Now, I mean, they say, well, you must be a terrorist if you're doing that. Mm-hmm. But uh, people who have food stored could actually possibly resist martial law a little bit longer, mm-hmm. even just if they're holding out. And they start wanting to know where all that stuff is. It's not. That's not good. Well, you know, one thing that I, I thought was interesting is all of these books about, um, you know, like, like how to live off the land. You know, yeah. eating wild foods. It's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the guy that was on our show? He wrote the book How to Survive Martial Law. Uh huh. You remember that was a long time back. That was back when we were on. Yeah. Uh, WRFN. And he said, because he had been there when they had martial law in Central America, yeah. when he was an American special From the way forces. that he said it, he was like the guy enforcing it, basically. Right, right, right. And what he said was, if you're going to have anything useful like that, like arms or food, mm-hmm. you're going to have to like go somewhere and bury it. Mm-hmm. Like somewhere bury it where you can go in the middle of the night and get it, because he said, when they come to inspect your house, he says, the way martial law works, if they find guns, they'll just shoot you. Mm-hmm. They're not going to take any risk whether you're a hazard. It's just better for them just to go and shoot you while they're there. Mm-hmm. And if they find food, same thing, they'll take it. So he said you basically just have to uh, not let anybody know. Mm-hmm. That's got to be something totally secret. Which what are you going to do with that tank that's in your in the secret the secret room? Thanks for giving that away. Yeah, I mean the it's going to be hard to bury people. Yeah, it's going to be going to be hard to bury like a 10 millimeter cannon. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, buddy. The big 29 you got, I mean. Yeah, you know what they'll do is they'll tear this house apart and they'll say, well, we can't find it anywhere. <laughs> Tom Bionic, he doesn't lie. We know yeah, and right. you'll be like, don't worry, I know where he lives. Uh-huh, yeah. I'll drive you there. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> into the future will be. <laughs> um, any story? You want another story? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, yeah, at most one more and then we'll uh, go to our emails. Okay. Uh, I've got I've got several stories here. You get one. Oh, I want one. I want five. And it doesn't have to be a long one. Okay. Um, gosh, it's tough. Um, well, we've heard about, I'm sure everybody's heard all about the, uh, the employing a predator drone plane, spy planes on the home front. You mm-hmm. know, that's not a new thing. Um, I've been doing some other research on, along those lines. Uh, oh, here's one I really wanted to talk. There's, I, I come here with like 50 stories. Well, what was your order? Good. What was your rank order uh, coming in? I was good. It was going to be police to test new laser device to, to blind crowds. Uh, but then this late-breaking story came up about uh, the Romanian secret prisons, mm-hmm. um, secret CIA prison. And uh, then the police – I want to just sort of enter into the record. Police mm-hmm. employ predator drone spy planes on the home front. Okay. Right. So we'll, we'll go with – Pick one okay. and make it a quick one. Okay. AP exclusive. Inside Romania's secret CIA prison. This published a couple of days ago. One of the CIA's most important secrets in the war on terrorism was hiding in plain sight on a leafy residential street along a busy set of train tracks in Romania's capital. There, tucked in the basement of a government building, the CIA ran a clandestine prison, former U.S. intelligence officials said. You know, what's interesting about this is we've had several stories in the history of Future Quake where what they've done, essentially, is is they've had, like, uh, the CIA or, in this country, I, the ICE or other things, other government agencies, have run prisons, like, in a in industrial park. Right. You know? Yeah, we we had yeah our show with Trevor Paglin on that mm-hmm. talked about that a lot. Yeah. Yep. One of the CIA's most important secrets in the war on terrorism was hiding in plain sight. For years, the building, codenamed Blue Bright Light, 
how some of the CIA's most important terror suspects, including Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the mastermind of the September 11, 2001 attacks against the U.S., even after the detainees were shipped off to Guantanamo Bay in 2006 and reports about the prison began to surface, the Romanian government repeatedly denied any knowledge of its existence. A joint investigation by the Associated Press and the German public television ARD Panorama, however, located the former prison and unearthed details of the facility where harsh interrogation tactics were carried out. The Romanian prison was part of a network of so-called black sites that the CIA operated and controlled overseas in Thailand, Lithuania, and Poland. All the prisons were closed by May of 2006, or just renamed, uh, and the CIA's detention interrogation program ended in 2009, or maybe it was renamed. Unlike the CIA facility in Lithuania's countryside or the one hidden in a Polish military installation, the CIA's prison in Romania was not in a remote location. The, business, the building is used as the National Registry Office for Classified Information, which is also known as the ORNISS. Classified information from NATO and the European Union is stored there. Former intelligence officials both described the location of the prison and identified pictures of the building. In an interview at the former, in an interview at the building in November, senior ORNISS official Adrian Camarasen uh, said the basement is one of the most secure rooms in all of Romania. He said that Americans never ran a prison there. No, no, impossible, impossible. He said in an ARD interview mm-hmm. for its Panorama news broadcast, as a security official monitored the interview. The CIA prison opened for business in the fall of 2003 after the CIA decided to empty the black site in Poland, according to former U.S. officials who spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss the detention program with reporters. Shuttling detainees into the facility without being seen is relatively easy. After flying into Bucharest, the detainees were brought to the site in vans. CIA officials then drove down a side road and entered the compound through the rear gate that led to the actual prison. <clears throat> the deta- detainees could then be unloaded and whisked into the ground floor of the prison and into the basement. The basement consisted of six prefabricated cells, each with a clock and an arrow pointing to Mecca, the officials said. The cells were on springs, keeping them slightly off balance and causing disorientation among some detainees. The CAA declined to comment on the prison. During the first month of their detention, the detainees endured sleep deprivation, were doused with water, slapped, or forced to stand in painful positions, several former officials said. Waterboarding was not performed in Romania, uh, they said. After the in- initial interrogations, the detainees were treated with care, uh, the officials said. The prisoners received regular dental and medical checkups. The CIA shipped in halal food to the site from Frankfurt, Germany the agency's European Center for Operations. Halal meat is prepared under religious rules similar to kosher food. So when they would get done waterboarding them, they'd want to show them respect by giving them the halal food. It says they didn't waterboard them. Yeah. Uh-huh. But they did, they did, they did force them to, to stand in painful positions uh, and slap them and douse them with water. Um, See, remind me to tell them that that is against my religious beliefs to be in painful positions. Mm-hmm. Or to be slapped that that would violate my religion. Maybe that you think they would stop from doing that then? No. Oh, okay. The CIA has tried to close the book on the detention program, which Obama ended shortly after taking office, or renamed. That controversy mm-hmm. has largely subsided. The CIA's lawyer, top lawyer, Stephen Preston, said, 
uh, at a conference earlier this month. But details of the prison network continue to trickle out through investigations by international bodies, journalists, and human rights groups. Uh, there have been years of official denial, said Dick Marty, a Swiss lawyer, lawmaker who led an investigation into the CIA secret prison, prison for the Council of Europe. We at last, uh, we are at last beginning to learn what really happened in Bucharest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, it goes on, um, mm-hmm. you know. Who who will be held accountable for that? You think anybody will ever go to jail? Um, only if they can find somebody with a hard to pronounce last name that they can pin it on. Yeah, the scapegoat you mean? Yep. Yeah. Look for that to happen. <laughs> Look for that to happen in the MF Global thing too. I was yeah. watching yeah. that. They'll find somebody with a goofy last name. Mm-hmm. Kind of looks doesn't look like you know the typical Midwestern American, and yeah, he gets the he's going to get the shaft. Fall guy. Yep. Yeah. Will, um, I'd like to sort of close out our show with just a few emails, if that's okay. Okay, please. That's all right. Uh, this comes from our Futurian Kyle. And Futurian Kyle uh, has to share. Uh, just a couple thoughts on the show with David Lowe and his book, The Myth of Lucifer and the True Nature, Biblical Nature of Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, he says... Uh, where he's called a liar and a murderer in the beginning for Satan, mm-hmm. could easily refer to the Genesis account time period. In other words, the beginning which just means the beginning of Genesis, according to Kyle. Genesis, after all, the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, so that Satan didn't have to be created with those attributes, but he became those things during the Genesis period. It, it seems likely that because he was filled with pride and his own ability... When mm-hmm. he found out that he'd be subservient to beings made of dirt, he was unable to accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, also regarding the Pharaoh of Moses' time, I suspect that when, and it says God hardened his heart, that it can refer to both a sovereign act of God and an act of human will for this reason. All goodness ultimately comes from God himself. Even fallen human beings have attributes and ability that are good in a very real sense. If So if God, because of God, Pharaoh's actions and attitude, takes away any natural goodness Pharaoh had. He has not turned Pharaoh into a puppet, as it may seem to many, but merely left Pharaoh with what is Pharaoh's, which is a hard heart. Hmm. In other words, I guess he would be taking away the part of goodness that originally came from God as a gift. Mm -hmm. A heart that would ultimately become harder as God takes away the natural blessings he gave Pharaoh in the first place. So rather than looking at it negatively like he made him bad, he just took away what little bit was good in him. I don't know. Interesting. I don't what know. Do Who knows? I don't know. Kyle's I know nothing, Hogan. <laughs> I know nothing. Hogan. Oh, um, thank you, Brother Kyle. Mm-hmm. Appreciate your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. We'll keep struggling with that. Um, and let's see what else we got here. Um, bear with me here just two seconds. Um. Okay, here's, uh, we'll just do one more right now. This will be from uh, Brother Pascal. Okay. Blaze. Huh? Blaze Pascal. Yes, it is, yes. Uh, Brother Pascal, a Futurian, uh, says, Pascal here alive in Brazil. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dr. Future and TB. Um, I think that's Tom Bionic, not tuberculosis. Something I gotta watch out for in my job. You're both really. Yeah. Yeah. Transients. Yeah. Bring tuberculosis. Don't bring it here. <coughs> okay. <coughs> yeah. Thanks. 
There you go, Paul. They don't have a eugenics program at the mission, it's do the they? It's gift that gives, it keeps on giving, buddy. Uh-huh. They don't have a eugenics program there at the mission, do they? They, don't. they did talk to me about sort of a hush-hush thing. Okay. You'll get briefed into that I didn't know what it was, but they said Dick Cheney's involved. So okay, yeah. Well, it can't it's be, be good. good. Yeah. Yeah, he says, Dr. Future and TB, I know it's been a while since I contacted you, but I haven't forgotten you guys. How can I? I can't. I love you guys. I will write more later about what's going on. I would really like all the Futurians to pray pray for us. We are working with the Japanese descendants here in Brazil. You know, awesome. that's what you would tend to think of. If you want to reach out to Japanese people, where do you, you go? go? To Brazil. Brazil, yeah. obviously. Yeah, of course. Uh, Brazil has the largest population of Japanese descendants in the world. I want to go now, to Brazil. Now, is that weird or what? I, I'm I'm going to Brazil. That's all Are you really? I'm going. They have an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. Yep. Uh, but I just wanted to let you know that I still listen and miss you guys. Love you all, Pascal. IMB missionary with his family in Brazil. And he sent a follow-up. I asked him if our Futurians could pray for him and his ministry there. He says, Dr. Future, that would be great. We need all the prayers we can get. My, two, my new team leader gave me the book called Overcoming Spiritual Barriers in Japan, Identifying Strongholds and Redemptive Gifts by Keith Webb. Hmm. There is a quote on the back in which he says, More workers, more money, or better methods will not help a situation that is a result of spiritual strongholds. You, you know a lot of the Japanese here in Brazil hold on to that culture. They are Buddhist, spiritists, and so forth. I really believe the younger generation does know what direction they're heading in. But the most important thing we can do is pray. I can't thank you enough for sharing this. If people would like to visit our blog, it's tfom, T-F-O-M dash stoll, S-T-O-W-L-L dot blogspot dot com. Okay, that's T-F-O-M dash S-T-O-W-E-L-L stoll at dot blogspot dot com. says, I put up a video and we'll be trying to put up more virtual prayer walks. Love you. Truly love you guys. Love listening to your show. Pascal, a.k.a. the Brazilian Nut. He's got to think of a better nickname. Brazil Nut, huh? Well, I have a piece of advice for, for Brother Blazon. Doing the work of the Lord and one of our brethren out there. Or, excuse me, you put Blaze in my mind. Brother Pascal. Um, put, put in his mind. Watch out for um, Coffin Joe, who is the arch enemy in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Coffin Joe is the guy who's the... He's like the Freddy Krueger and uh, um, Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees all combined into one for Brazil. Jason Voorhees. So, yeah. Yeah. most people don't know his last name, by the way. I didn't. Um, but uh, for our Futurians, this is some closing homework for you all. If you don't know who Coffin Joe is, that's like a burial coffin, C-O-F-F-I-N. Coffin Joe, just Wikipedia that, and you'll know who I'm talking about. He's, he's a bad dude, so... Uh, let's say a prayer for Brother Pascal and his ministry there. Okay, mm-hmm. is that all right? Yeah. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray for Brother Blaze and his family. I pray for their safety, physically and spiritually, Lord. Mm-hmm. I pray for success of the mission that you put them on, them and any other collaborators they may have in our family uh, of the kingdom that are there. And I pray for the people of Brazil, and I pray particularly for those of Japanese descendancy that are there, mm-hmm. that you're targeting. I pray, Lord, that you would bind the spirit powers that uh, would keep them from accepting the good news of the gospel, and that the strong men that are there, that they would be bound and let the stronger man of Jesus Christ 
come into the hearts of the people there mm. and that you would set the captives free, Lord, mm-hmm. and let them become citizens of the new kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray for this goodness for them uh, because we love them and because much has been given to us and we desire that it be given to others. Mm. I pray that fruit would be, be born through Brother Pascal. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, somebody else who blesses us is Brother Merv, who can tell us how to contact you at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. That's the end of the road. Uh, we have uh, an impromptu guest next week that I haven't even told you about, Brother really? Tom. Um, should be sort of interesting. Don't know what to expect, but uh, we're going to have a special guest. It's not our normal cycle. The week after that, we will have a previously scheduled guest on a really, really heavy-duty, mind-blowing topic for the end of the year. But uh, we will have a, a bonus guest next week uh, to interview. And then two weeks after that, we will be having our prediction show, annual mm-hmm. prediction show. So yeah, you be thinking about your predictions, Tom, for the year, okay, 2012? A lot of interesting ones yeah. already. You may say, eh, boring year, nothing going on. More of the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Mayan will flies off into the air or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. Um but, anyway, that's it. Any last words for our Futurians, brother? Nothing. Enjoyed it. Well. A lot of things going on. We just passed the two-hour point right now, so it's time to say goodbye. So, you all have a wonderful week this week. Keep your ear to the ground and your nose in the Bible and your heart with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.